Tolerance is currently the highest value in Western society, and even questioning it is seen as being narrow-minded or discriminatory. But there's a glaring hypocrisy in our obsession with tolerance. This new kind of tolerance doesn't mean simply respecting the rights of those who hold differing beliefs. It means affirming all beliefs as equally valid and correct. Therefore, there must be an intolerance against any teaching that disagrees with this assertion. Christian teaching and theology on human sexuality and the exclusivity of Christ and salvation disagrees with this new tolerance because its ideas stand in stark contrast to these progressive ideals. Recently, there have been incidents and reports of Christian leaders, pastors, and theologians having teaching videos on biblical sexuality blocked by YouTube as part of a violation of content policies. In the name of tolerance, Christian ideas can't be tolerated. Freedoms of speech, religion, and the press are being revoked in the name of safety. And censorship is targeting certain ideas that are being deemed as dangerous hate crimes. But does that mean that all censorship is wrong? What does the Bible say about censorship and freedom of speech? Should Christians be for freedom of speech? What's the Christian response to the gospel being censored on online platforms? Speaking of which, what about the metaverse? What will censorship and free speech look like there? And what exactly is the metaverse? Welcome, everybody, to the Beers Bubble Podcast. My name is Josh. I am joined by Gabe. Gabe, how are you, friend? I'm doing well. Doing well. Down here in the, the basement, it's warmer this time, so no parka Ooh. for me, no snow coat or anything like that for me. Yeah, and you got your setup going mm-hmm. even more so than you did last time. Yeah. Is that is that a... Uh, is that some deer antlers I see behind you? It is, yeah. And I had to position them in a way that I wasn't... So, like, if I scoot over just a little bit, it looks like... Looks, looks like, like you're wearing them. Yeah, it looks like they're my antlers. But I you know, those antlers are kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. But have you seen the ones in my office? No, uh uh-uh. Let's see. Can you can you see them over there? Mm. There. Yeah. What are they? You called only that? have one. I have two, and mine are much bigger than yours. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> how did you get yours? I just wanna. I just wanna know. What's the story? Um, I've never shot a deer in my life. That's those are actually my dad. My dad shot that in 1991, October of 1991. 180, 198 pounds. Oh, that's Nin- actually a big deer. Is it? Yeah, it's an eight point. Yeah. Well, I've got two two deer antlers that I shot, and I could tell you the full story of those next time you're here in my office. We, it we need my to, wife you crazy. Need to, you need to take me deer hunting in 2022. Okay. I have a vision for 2022. <laughs> and it involves <laughs> shooting deers. I have a word. A word for 2022. A word. A word, word from the Lord. Yeah. Um, if you get me talking about deer hunting, like my mm-hmm. redneck self comes out. It's like a werewolf. It's like... <laughs> And I'm like, hey, boy, what you doing? And everybody's like, oh, gosh, run. Um, but, yeah, I could talk a long time about deer hunting because I, I love it. It's great. I wonder how people perceive deer hunting, like someone watching, someone listening right now in, like, Guam. Yeah. And they're like, wait a second. What is a deer, first of all? And then what, yeah. what is involved in hunting the steer? So I run the analytics on our podcast, and I know <clears throat> with VPNs sometimes it's harder to know where people are listening from, but we have people listening from all over the country, I know, because I've gotten emails. 
But we also have people listening from all over the world. And if you're not from the U.S., especially from the South, uh, if you're listening from another spot of the U.S. where you don't have lots of land, you're probably thinking we're the biggest rednecks on the face of the earth talking about Mm -hmm. (laughs) killing antlered mammals and eating them and then putting their antlers up on our wall to brag Mm. about how manly we are. It actually does kind of pretty savage when I say it like that, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 But I would I would suggest that if we did not have deer hunters, that we would actually be doing a giant disservice <laughs> to the ecosystem in rural areas where white-tailed deer are in their natural habitat. Yeah, and I why? think I can. Huh? Are, they, are they pretty destructive? You're saying to like the ecosystem stuff? Well, they don't have any natural predators besides oh. humans. So if you don't hunt them, um, they'll basically turn into a pest. Hmm. And they'll get hit by cars. So true story, just uh, a couple, like a month or two ago, I was uh, down visiting some family, my wife's family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, uh, someone Someone was really excited to bring us some uh, pulled venison sandwiches, like some barbecue venison mm. sandwiches and stuff that they had made. And uh, I was really excited to eat them because uh, venison is delicious. It's Venison yes, it is, is. Deer, deer meat for those who don't know. So I'm eating this barbecue venison sandwich. And it's just delicious. It's like just melting in your mouth good. You know, you like slow cooked it and stuff. Mm. So I asked this family member, like, man, I didn't know you took up deer hunting. Like, where did you get the deer? (laughs) And I'm like mid-chew. And he's like, oh, yeah, from the side of the road. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) So I'm just like Uh, chewing and I'm like looking at him waiting for him to like, yeah. I'm waiting for him to like crack a smile or something like that. And he's like, yeah, but I mean, like a truck hit it. It was on the side of the highway kind of near our house. And I guess a truck hit it or something. <laughs> and the neighbors had found it. And he's like, but it was, he qualified it with, but it was still warm. When mm, they, okay. <laughs> well, you know, still counts. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're so fine. then as I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not, I'm like realizing he's serious. And I'm like, you know, like if he had kept talking about it. So he pulls up on his phone. And he's like, oh yeah, let me show you, um. Let me show you some of the pictures. And so he's pulling oh, on his no. phone and I'm chewing on this deer meat as he's flipping through photos on his phone of this deer carcass that was retrieved oh, from the side of the road. And he's like, yeah, you know, this side right here, we, we couldn't eat this side because it had some serious contusions. Look at these oh, contusions. No. Oh, God. So he's like zooming in on this like bruised, like contorted side oh. of the deer. Yeah, and I'm like chewing on this deer as he's talking, and I'm like, "Dude, you gotta go away! I cannot." Yes. I'm just talking to me about how my food got to my plate. Oh man, wow. that was a trip. Yeah, that is. You know, it's funny though. Like, um, there's so many people that when they find out I hunt deer, and we're like, "Hey, you should come over. We'll we'll uh, throw some on the grill." Or you know, Jenny does a really good job making it uh, very delicious, and it doesn't taste gamey at all when she cooks with it. She knows how to do that really well. There's always like, well, I don't think I could eat it if I, you know, know that it's a, a wild animal. I'm like, do you ever eat hamburgers? Mm. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, actually, if you knew how beef was processed, you would probably be a lot less uh, freaked out about eating wild game than you would about eating beef. Because we have this, like, mythology that our beef comes from, like, some idyllic farm mm-hmm. out in a you know, beautiful green pastures and there's this cow that, you know, has a wonderful life and then at the end of his long life he's taken away and the farmer's weeping as he's taken off to the slaughterhouse and that's typically not how it works. It's usually um, 
hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of cattle that are corn fed in basically these houses and then they're slaughtered and picked up by backhoes and thrown in there and ripped open and then oh, bleached gosh. to get all the bacteria out of it and then they're shipped off to your favorite restaurant and that's where your beef comes from so you're welcome mm. maybe you're listening to this and eating a hamburger yeah eating a happy meal eating a happy meal well if you knew where it was coming from it would be a sad meal mm. Mm. how do we even get on this topic of <laughs> the, deer, the antlers the yeah. <laughs> yeah people are gonna think i, I think those guys are vegan i'm gonna mm. stop listening well, the nice thing about this format is that we have the freedom to talk about whatever yes. we want to talk about. Yes, we do. For now, at least. Mm. We have free speech. However, censorship and freedom of speech are real things that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, so just, just to give people a backstory, uh, if you are living in a cave, there is a famous podcaster by the name of Joe Rogan. Who's that? <laughs> and he he, <laughs> he has set the internet afire mm -hmm. uh, with a certain interview that he did um, in which some topics were discussed that people felt were uh, inappropriate to discuss. Um, and so there's been a big push uh, to get him deplatformed off of Spotify. Mm -hmm. And so... Right or well, wrong. Well, qualify, qualify what he discussed. I mean, it wasn't yeah. It wasn't as if he was discussing illegal activity or inciting violence. Right. He wasn't talking about, um, you know, things that would be considered deplorable and mm -hmm. perverse. He wasn't talking about pedophilia or anything like that. What, mm -hmm. what was he talking about that caused this outrage? Yeah, he had a, he had a medical expert <laughs> by the name of Dr. Robert Malone, you know, a medical doctor who developed the mRNA technology was very instrumental in developing that, who basically is coming out and saying, hey, let's slow our roll on on definitely mandating these vaccines, but let's slow let's slow our roll on, on giving them to children for now because there's not enough research. And I, there are some things that are concerning me as a medical doctor who developed this technology. I see some things that are kind of concerning. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I think Rogan was one of the few places that would actually have him and allow him to speak freely about it. So, yeah, there wasn't any like, like you said, any hate speech per se, or like there wasn't any um, illegal things that were, were talked about or discussed or terrorist activities that were discussed. It was just yeah. like, here are some ideas. Here are some <clears throat> concerns that I have. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest we do this. So, um, you know, that that was like a huge, huge thing in the media. Um of is this irresponsible of Spotify to continue to have number one this episode on the air and be a, be able to be accessed by by people, um, and would that cause more hesitancy in the vaccine world, or uh, you know should we just allow him to discuss whatever he wants to discuss and um, or should we, should we go ahead and just like plug plug pull the plug on this this episode or should Spotify just completely remove Rogan? Um, hmm. Was which the, which they wouldn't because he is the top as, as far as i know he's the top podcaster in the world like he's mm -hmm. got more streams for his podcast than almost anybody else yeah yeah he has every episode averages 11 to 12 million downloads no we're just shy of that here yeah at yeah. Bible. yeah like just below it but yeah so it's <laughs> it's crazy like he's he's not on spotify like spotify is on him you know mm -hmm. it's like they mm -hmm. but 
it it brought up some interesting thoughts for me, I guess, like looking at this whole thing playing out and having different musicians saying, oh, we're going to leave Spotify if, if you don't dump him. Yeah, it was um, Neil Young and mm-hmm. um, who else was it? Joan? No, I don't know. That's the thing is like we don't, I don't really know these people. <laughs> Neil Young's like, I'm out of here. We're like, okay, see you. Yeah, yeah. I've so got your, I've got your stuff on vinyl, so I listen to it anytime I want. <laughs> he's he's searching for a heart of gold. That's why he got out. Mm-hmm. He's been a miner for a heart of gold. So the question came up from a how do we approach this topic? How do we approach this particular issue, or in in broader terms, the freedom of speech, right? From a biblical worldview, yeah. um, I think we would be remiss to not talk about this issue because you could take. Dr. Malone out of the picture and put in a Bible believing, you know, evangelical pastor. Yep. And put him next to Rogan on Rogan's show, and he's saying some things. Um, what is he allowed to say? What is he not allowed to say? Or you could take him him out and put in, uh, you know, I'm trying to Osama bin Laden. You know, like sure. is he yeah, yeah, is yeah, he yeah. Yeah. is he allowed to say things on the internet? <clears throat> and where where are the right. limits of that? That well, and and that actually, you know, it, it's actually very relevant for us as Christians because there have been recent incidents and reports of Christian leaders and pastors and theologians. Um, there was an individual from Focus on the Family that was talking about biblical sexuality, and his video got flagged and blocked by YouTube as a violation of content policies. Mm-hmm. And of course. When you see that, I mean, that's pretty frightening, especially if he's just reading the word. You're kind of like, okay, so mm-hmm. now the Bible is becoming offensive hate speech, and YouTube has to flag it and block it. All right. So this is actually coming home to roost for us as Christians because many of us, uh, Gabe, I don't know about your church, but my church, we use Facebook and YouTube to live stream our services. Mm-hmm. And this past weekend, I taught from 1 Corinthians 6 mm-hmm. that gives a whole laundry list of don't be deceived, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, and it goes through a whole list of people who won't inherit the kingdom of God, and one of those is men who practice homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And so in almost any context, uh, that would be considered quite unpopular in 2022, but I was just reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in the years to come, the more and more platforms for um, online content crack down on ideas they see as dangerous? Like, what does that mean for us? And that's really, is it, does that seem like that's kind of what we're, we're discussing? That's what we're talking about today. Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a topic we should be paying attention to because it's a topic that eventually, like you said, will overlap into our realm in our in our desire and efforts to share the gospel and to share what it looks like to live according to scripture um if you know like you said it's eventually eventually going to work its way into our realm but also Mm -hmm. hinder that ability hinder that that speech that we have so it's something and we talked about this before um you know a couple weeks back it's like it's this weird dynamic that we have as um christ followers we we ourselves don't have freedom of speech. You know, the book of James talks extensively about mm. controlling your speech, controlling your tongue. We ourselves don't have freedom of speech, but 
we support the concept of freedom of speech around us because we know that if freedom of speech goes away, so too might our our, our ability. Uh, it's so, yes. I, I guess I say, I'm stumbling over my words here, but like if free speech in the secular realm goes away, <clears throat> and the culture around it, if that goes away, then so too might our ability to freely share the truth of God's word with those around us. Yes. Yeah, and that's a very important thing to remember is um, where we might have the legal right within the context that we live, and I know not everybody listening is from the U.S., so it's different here in the U.S. than it is in other places, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, we may have the legal right of freedom of speech, but we're compelled as followers of Christ to um, really live in obedience as bond slaves of Christ to what he says. Mm-hmm. So my body is not my own, so that means my mouth is not my own. I can't just say whatever I want. I don't have that that right, if you will. And all of us, we, we are very, very, especially here in the U.S., obsessed with rights right now. Mm-hmm. But the idea as a Christian is that you yield your rights and you give up your rights because you're under the authority and submission to King Jesus. Mm. It's not just me doing whatever I want and saying, well, I've got that right. Well, no, I don't. My body does not belong to me. My mouth does not belong to me. My speech does not belong to me. But at the same time, I support others in a society having that freedom because that also gives me the freedom to be able to speak God's word. Mm -hmm. Mm So, well, let's get into it. Sound good? Let's do it. All right, so we're going to start from the very beginning, and that is, what does the Bible say about freedom of speech? What does the Bible say about censorship? So, do we have any Bible verses that speak about our God-given rights of freedom of the press and freedom of religion (laughs) and freedom of speech and John Wayne (laughs) punching an Indian across the face because he... (laughs) No, I think it's a kind of an anachronistic to say. Uh, if anything, the Bible speaks to the uh, utmost importance of our ability to tame our tongues and mm-hmm. to speak those things. Ephesians four twenty nine. You know, it's like to speak things that only build up those around us and edify those around us. So I think, um, yeah, like in in our worldview, we we don't have this this God given right of freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah, all those ideas, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, are really Mm -hmm. principles and ideals of democracy. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the grand scheme of human history, these are very modern concepts. So if you go back to the Bible and you look at ancient Israel, Mm -hmm. there was no freedom of religion. There was really no freedom of speech, because if you gave (coughs) a false prophecy or you taught false religion, Mm -hmm. under that system you would be executed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and and if you think, man, that is so backwards. I cannot believe ancient Israel was like that. Well, really, in in all ancient societies, especially in ancient monarchies, that's how it was. I mean, you criticized the king or the emperor, you were punished by death or imprisonment. So, I mean, that's just how society was. I mean, we we have to put aside our lenses of modernity or post-modernity where we think that democracy is the way it always has been and understand that no this is pretty pretty new and modern us being able to have the freedoms we have Mm. so in israel um, when there was a righteous king the things that would be prohibited from being practiced and spoken were 
falsehood and false religion. But when there were wicked kings, the wicked kings would censor God's word and persecute God's prophet. Um, there's a story of the prophet Jeremiah speaking God's word to the wicked king and having God's word written on a scroll, and the king went and burned it. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember what chapter of Jeremiah that was. but uh, So, I mean, you see censorship practiced in the Bible in a, a, a positive way, right? I mean, things mm-hmm. that are not true or things that are harmful are being prohibited. And then you see it in a tyrannical, oppressive way. Um, so in one sense, you see the dark side of censorship. In another sense, you see it encouraged by God to a certain extent in a society that honored God. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think that is different for us as New Testament Christians, though, because the Bible calls us as New Testament Christians exiles. Yeah. We are living in a world that does not acknowledge the kingship of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, what business do I have judging outsiders? It's for me to judge those within the church. Mm-hmm. So basically he's saying we're, we're not called as Christians to be the morality police of unbelievers. Mm-hmm going around censoring them, and you can't say this, you can't say that. that. That's really not our job. Of course, within a society, there has to be necessary limitations as to certain things, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But really, we're supposed to hold professing Christians within the church accountable for what we say and how we act. So mm-hmm. within the context of the local church, which is, which is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven, there should be censorship in terms of what teaching is allowed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There should be censorship of what speech is allowed within the context of a local church. You can't just walk in and, you know, raise your hand and start cursing and saying the f bomb, right? Mm-hmm. There's censorship of what behavior is allowed, and that's that's right and that honors God. Um, but at the same time, we can't go down the street to the <laughs> the Shonies. Um, rest in peace, Shonies. There's no more Shonies in Tennessee. If you're like, what's Shonies? <laughs> just Google it. Um, and some guy is is being a turd and you know, says a cuss word, I can't stand up and be like, you have no business, get out of here, like, and, and be his morality police, because he's he's outside the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like we live in this unrealized uh, monarchy, and mm-hmm. I remind people that often, like, you know, if you're a follower of Messiah, you he is your king, and we're living in a monarchy. Now, that monarchy were like little cells and, like you said, embassies of that kingdom that is insulated by a wonderful democracy that uh, allows us to freely be that embassy. Mm-hmm. And one of the components of that, that one of the, one of the blessings of that uh, nation and that government in which we're surrounded by is the freedom of speech. But yeah, the people in that government, the United States of America and people that are not part of that monarchy that we're part of, um, they uh, they don't recognize our king as their king. So right. it's this interesting dynamic. But Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's something we always say. It's like, and we've said in the past, it's like, um, you know, our, our uh, citizenship of that kingdom transcends the citizenship of the United States of America. <coughs> and <coughs> right. sometimes we coalesce the two together and think that the United States of America is that kingdom, is that monarchy. Um, but 
that is that is so backwards and Absolutely. unbiblical. But yep. you know, obviously, politicians will pick that pick up on that, and they'll they'll feed that, and they'll use that to mm-hmm. garnish votes or whatever. So, it's yep. um it's an ongoing struggle that we always have to to keep be cognizant of. Absolutely. So, in one sense, we have dual citizenship, right? I mean, we are mm-hmm. citizens of the kingdom of God through our faith in the Messiah. Um. And so that he has our first allegiance in all things, but in another sense, we are citizens of over nation we find ourselves as residents of temporarily, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to be singing the Star Spangled Banner in heaven. Um, <laughs> some people are like, well, I don't want to go. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so because we're dual citizens, we're told to honor the emperor and obey earthly authority. That's Romans 13. So we honor the emperor and... We follow the laws of the land. We, we do what we're asked to do by those in authority over us. Christians are supposed to be the best citizens in any country, any nation, period. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're also to speak the truth of God's Word and the gospel, regardless of whether or not we're forbidden or not permitted to do so by secular governments. That's Acts chapter 5. Mm-hmm. So it's as, it's as if we have dual citizenship and we're told to obey both both laws and both um, ordinances of both nations we're a part of, right? The nation of God and then the nation of whatever it is we're, we're living in, until the nation that we're living in starts to contradict and say, you can't obey the command of King Jesus. That's when we say, I'm sorry, I must obey God rather than men. Mm-hmm. And kind of where that line is, I think has gotten blurred in the past few years. And... um yeah, that's that's been really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Kind of what is it that uh, you know if the if the government of your city says, "Hey, no assemblies right now because of COVID," mm-hmm. and the Bible says, "Forsake not the assembling together of yourselves as some have the habit of doing, but continue to meet together all the more as the day draws near." Who wins out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we. I know. I think your church, your your church, suspend services right at the start of COVID for a bit. Yeah, we went into like small groups, basically of like twenty five each. Yeah, we did too. That wasn't enough for some people. It's it's interesting to me. Most of the people that were the most irate about us not gathering together corporately with our big church were people who don't really show that they're faithful in attendance most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like once every other monthers, but they were the ones the most irate about it. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. When you have that freedom, you don't come every week. But when you <laughs> don't, you're more upset because, I, I don't know, it's just funny to me. Yeah. Yeah, some of your worst critics as a leader can come from people that are on the periphery of the right. organization that you're leading, I've, I've discovered, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think in hindsight, if I had known then what I know now, I'm not sure we ever would have suspended our services. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like we, you know, going into it, we just didn't know. And right. what we were being told may not have been the whole truth. We mm-hmm. just don't know. But what we were being told was what we understood to be the truth. And, uh, yeah, so we, that's what a leader does is sometimes a leader makes a decision. And of, oftentimes a leader makes a decision based on all the information they have at their disposal. And then in hindsight, that leader can say, you yeah, know, the decision was good. Oh, that decision was bad. I won't do that again. 
And that's that's what a good leader does. They learn from their past and they learn from decisions they made in their past and surround themselves with wise people who can help them make those decisions. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, again, those lines of, you know, do we listen to what the government's asking us to do or do we listen to what God's word says? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that gets blurred in years like we've had, but I think as time goes on, I think those those lines are going to get more and more distinct. Yeah. And we're seeing them get a little bit more um, distinct. So I, I, I don't know if it's quite as fuzzy as it was two years ago when we kind of started venturing into the season of, of the pandemic. But um, so let's talk about freedom of speech. Should, should we as Christians be for freedom of speech in all of its forms? <laughs> it's, this is a tough question because <clears throat> the, the Internet has changed everything. And yes, it has. Like if you ask your average person, should Joe Rogan be censored or should Donald Trump not be allowed to be on Twitter? You know, let's take your average Alabamian walking around the local Walmart. They would say, <laughs> yes, they, Donald Trump should be allowed back on Twitter, you know. But then right. you ask that person, let's say there's a Bible believing good Southern Baptist Christian, you know, something like that. Should Howard Stern be allowed to have, yep. you know, the, the same kind of platform? Should he be allowed to be on the radio? Or, you know, should Adolf Hitler have a podcast and talk about the should evils Should the guys of... from, from NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, be allowed to have a website? Yeah. So, and that person would obviously, mm-hmm. hopefully, they would be like, well, uh, yeah, I see the dilemma there. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's tough because the internet, the internet opens up and is available in every home in the United States of America just about. And it's, <clears throat> it's, I mean, it's in the palm of our hands. So yep. it's different in... Um, it's different than 150 years ago when it was like a newspaper that comes out or it's person-to-person speech. Um, it's it's a lot more complicated now. I hate Absolutely. to say it. No, you're, you're right, though. I mean, it is, it is very nuanced, and I think that when we actually start looking at the issue at face value, we start seeing like, oh, gosh, it's not as simple as we thought it was. But mm-hmm. um, freedom of speech can be a great good. So it can be. That's what we have to qualify it. It It's an instrumental good, meaning it can be used as an instrument. It's like a brick. I can use a brick to build a house or a mm-hmm. hospital, or I can use a brick to smash you in the head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing moral about that brick, mm-hmm. right? It's an instrumental good. It's not a, a moral good in and of itself. So free speech can be used to proclaim truth and encourage righteousness and proclaim God's word. Or I can use free speech to speak falsehood, I can use free speech to incite violence, or I can use free speech to spread perversion. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it can't be seen by itself as a moral right, mm-hmm. that I have a right from God <clears throat> to speak whatever I want, because I don't have a right from God to slander, deceive, curse, insult, or spread perversion. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um. There's an interesting article on the Gospel Coalition, which is a really awesome Christian blog. A guy named Brad Littlejohn wrote a, a really interesting article called A Theology of Free Speech. And he said this phrase, In order to secure a moral right to speak truth, it becomes necessary to defend a legal right that includes a right to speak falsehood. Hmm. So let me unpack that for a second. That means... If we as Christians want to be able to continue speaking what is true, 
we have to be okay with other people using that same legal right to speak things that are not true. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah, it goes both ways. So I can't rant and rail about how free speech, I need free speech, free speech, free speech, and then an athlete takes a knee during the national anthem and I cry foul and say he needs to be locked <laughs> up. Right? I mean, we're just talking yeah. real, right? I, yeah. The test to see if I really believe in free speech is if somebody uses their free speech to say something I don't like. Mm. And it yeah. doesn't tick me off so much that I say that guy needs to be arrested. No, the same free speech laws that allow me to speak what I see is true, allow that person to speak what they see is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's being consistent, and I think, and he, here's the ideal: is that we are, we would be a moral people, we'd be a moral <clears throat> right. civilization, so that the Howard Stearns of the world just don't have an audience. They have the freedom to do whatever they want to do on their radio show and to say whatever filth they want to say on their radio show, but they just lack an audience, so therefore they lack a motivation to even want to say it because we right. are a moral civilization. Um, but the less than ideal is uh, there is an entity that that is kind of acting as a police force and saying, well, because you said that, we have to deplatform you. Because you said that, we have to cancel you. Or we have to take you off the air or whatever. The, the problem with that is that the entity that is responsible that we hand that keys over to, they are not always fair and just or completely honest and objective or haven't been bought right. and paid for by different organizations or corporations. So that's where it's when you hand that key of control over to entity, it's like, how do I know you're going to really be fair in this Absolutely. and not look out for your own interest? Yep. So it, it is it's very I, I feel like I'm saying this over and over, but it's a very complex and difficult issue. Well, well, it is, and I think that something that we have to keep in mind as Christians is that Christianity does not have to have freedom of speech to flourish. Yeah, yeah. And we can see freedom of speech as an idol or even like a God-given right where, man, if freedom of speech is taken away, then Christianity's over. And I think that is the dumbest thing anybody could ever say if you know church history. <laughs> Be because, I mean, like, Christianity can flourish and benefit from having free speech, and I feel like, you know, in the U.S. right now, I, I think that one could say that Christianity is benefiting from us having free speech. I think some would disagree with that and say, no, it's become an inch deep and a mile wide, and so that's because we've taken our freedoms for granted. But, I mean, if you read the book of Acts, um, the pagan Roman Empire in the first century was exceptionally tolerant of free speech. Most of the persecution that happened in the book of Acts was not from Rome. It was actually from Jewish communities in the Roman Empire. Mm. So in Rome, there was like this understanding of kind of the free market of ideas. Um, Paul goes to the city of Athens in Acts 17 and goes to a place called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. And the Bible says that the people there, uh, the Athenians, used to spend all their time in nothing other than telling or hearing new ideas. Hmm. So there was like this place you could go, and it was almost like if you've been to London, there's a place in London called Speaker's Corner, and you can go to this place and stand on a soapbox and talk about anything you want. And it was the same in Athens. There was a place you could just go, and you could just tell and hear something new, right? And so Paul goes, and he speaks the message of the gospel. And it says that some people heard it and made fun of him. And then some people heard it and said, wow, this is really interesting. Tell us more. So we get this picture in 
Athens, which the Greeks were credited for kind of a democratic society, that Christianity can really flourish and benefit from a democratic society that gives people those those freedoms to be able to kind of speak whatever they want to speak. Hmm. Yeah, but that there's a there's an opposing side of that that coin too. Um, you know that Christianity, uh, like you said, can through that freedom of speech and through you know our ability to say whatever we want, like that, and the and the rights that have been granted to us here in the United States of America, um, it, like you said, it can be an inch deep and a mile wide sometimes, mm-hmm. and it lacks the potency. Uh, we we lack as believers a sense of urgency or desperation to hear truth. Right. It kind of loses its value when it's just mm-hmm. one idea in a marketplace of ideas that doesn't really cost us anything, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you study church history, what you'll find out is while Christianity, yeah, flourished and benefited from having free speech, mm-hmm. Christianity also flourished and benefited from not having free speech. So um, church historians write about something called the Great Persecution of AD 284 to about AD 303. And there were four Roman emperors, Diocletian, Maximian, Galerius, and Constantinius, I think that's how you say his name. And they issued a series of edicts that essentially made it illegal for Christians to practice their faith. So um, Christian houses of worship were destroyed. <coughs> Christian scriptures and liturgical books were burned. Christians weren't permitted to gather for certain worship services. Christians were forced to sacrifice to Roman gods. And during this, um, you know, 17, 18-year period, historians estimate that anywhere from 3,000 to 3,500 Christians were martyred. Mm. And there was this, like, very systematic government censorship that was put in place to stop the spread and rise of Christianity. But... One of the church fathers wrote that the seed of the martyrs, or the excuse me, the blood of the martyrs is the seed for the church. Hmm. That as Christians were arrested, imprisoned, executed, taken to the Colosseums, uh, because they stood in defiance of this censorship to speak the truth of the gospel, Christianity exploded. Hmm. So saying that we have to have freedom of speech in order for Christianity to be spread. That's not true. I mean, (laughs) where it's growing right now in the world most of the time is in places like China or Iran. I had lunch with a guy yesterday that uh, was connected with somebody that's doing a house church movement in Iran where Christianity is illegal and it's exploding, this house church movement. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting how that works. Yeah, it's like we should be for we should be supportive of our ability to say and preach the gospel freely, but if we don't get that, it's okay. Yeah, we'll be we'll be okay. <laughs> Absolutely, we still keep speaking, mm-hmm. and and come what may. I mean, like God is just. Even if a oppressive government cracks down on us and penalizes us for it, I mean, on the last day, God's going to make all things right. So I I really don't think that um. I I really don't think that sometimes we as people in Western societies that have become so accustomed to having our freedoms kind of have a framework to understand that we still have a mandate to speak it even if we don't have those freedoms. Hmm. But let's go in the other direction. What what would a completely uncensored media landscape or a completely uncensored internet 
look like. Like if somebody said, I believe in free speech, anybody should be allowed to say whatever they want to say. Anybody should be allowed to create whatever they want to create. Yeah, I think that's it's an interesting theoretical question. It's like, I think it's I think the answer to that is, is contingent upon the morality of society surrounding that freedom of speech and the people who are doing the speaking. So like I said, the, the internet is a total game changer. But if... Um, I liken it to to gun rights, for instance. I think, um, sadly, the extent to which an, a a group of people in a civilization can remain moral is the to the extent to which they should be allowed to possess firearms, unfettered access to firearms, mm-hmm. um, because you know the Second Amendment was originally. Uh, imagined in a in a moral and civil and just civilization Hmm. um you go to places that are unjust and they don't have that common moral fabric and foundation on judeo-christian principles you could see how like like opening a gun store in the middle of you know east africa might not be the best idea (laughs) because there is there is a lack of um judeo-christian principles that are that are pinning their civilization together like there might be here. However, that fabric, that, that, that thread that is holding us together here in the United States of America is eroding and it's, it's becoming tattered. Right. And because of that, I feel like having a pl- completely uncensored media landscape would be, um, would be a lot of, a lot of confusion. Um, it would be a lot of, uh, a lot of people giving audience to someone who doesn't deserve it, who is speaking falsehoods. Sure. Um, so the the really profane people that have a, have a platform on the internet or whatever, or the really hateful people or really bigoted people, um, you know, they, they would unfortunately find a segment of our civilization that would actually sit and listen to them and give them an audience. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's tough. And I don't know that the answer is like, well, they need to be legislated away by the, by, by the government. I don't know that the government needs to shut them down, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, it, it would be, it'd be like a wild west of information yeah. and ideas. Well, and, and some analysts would say we're already there. I think I would disagree with that. I mean, it, it gets tricky cause like, um, I think that we, as people that are holding to the Judeo Christian worldview, are concerned about the standard by which censorship should occur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's what it all comes down to. Okay, but mm-hmm. what standard? I mean, we all agree that if we just say anybody can say anything they want to say, like nobody has the legal right to go into a crowded movie theater and yell, there's a fire, there's a fire, there's a fire, right? Because by the time the truth has been sorted out, dozens of people may have been trampled in a stampede. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you don't have the right to go on the radio and start talking about assassinating the president mm-hmm. or committing a mass shooting and saying, well, that was satire, right? You don't have that right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you don't have the right to create or distribute child pornography mm-hmm. and then say that it's art, right? And say, well, it's not really minors. It's people who look like minors. Okay, that's still, that's profane. That's, Mm-hmm. It's illegal. Like, that's horrible. That's hurting someone, right? So there has to be in any society a limit to what someone is allowed to say, create, or produce in the name of freedom of speech. Mm. 
because your right to say it and your right to create it ends where it violates the rights of someone else to live in a safe and free society. But this all is contingent on, like you said, Gabe, the moral fabric and framework in that society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> so I'm thinking about like uh, some of the, the great propagandists of the Third Reich. You know, Here, it's like... Keep talking. I'm going to go grab a bottle of water. Keep talking. Sure, sure. I'm thinking about some of the, the propagandists of the Third Reich and their ability to propagate their ideas based on hatred and racism. I would say we're absolutely evil ideas. Um, but, you know, it's like if we censor out, uh, basically if we, if we give a, a secular entity uh, the, the precedent to say, hey, anything hateful, anything profane, anything that is intolerant, um, you know, basically cut them off the air, that secular entity is going to take and run with, run, run with it. But... So I would say, yeah, like the the propagandists of the Third Reich definitely don't need a platform. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and I would hope, like you said, that a civil society would deplatform them and punish them with their not listening to them. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So when again, we're talking about all these things from the perspective of two guys that live in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But when you start looking at censorship in other nations, it's interesting. Kind of, there is extremes all across the world. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I had a layover in Qatar. I've actually I've had a couple layovers in Qatar going to Africa. And Qatar is in the Middle East. And one of the things that was really interesting is when you're flying into Qatar as a foreigner, there are signs that are put up, and I'm very grateful for these signs that let you know that there is a very different culture there in Qatar and it's the same in Dubai and other places in the UAE that tell you that like hey there's there's like censorship and it's really common so like if you swear in public or you make rude gest gestures in public um, that can get you jailed or deported <laughs> uh, if you have DVDs or videos in your luggage at the airport, they can get examined, censored, or confiscated. So, like, <clears throat> pornography is just straight up illegal. Like, if you have a, you know, uh, something that they deem as pornographic, that, I mean, they'll get taken away from you or you could mm. be fined, right? Yeah. Um, I, my first layover in Qatar was in the middle of July, and Qatar is in the desert. So it was like 112 degrees on the tarmac. But um, you can't wear sleeveless tops or shorts. That you'll get asked to leave public buildings or shopping centers, malls, or healthcare facilities. Like that's you can't do that. You can do that at your house. You can't do that out in public. Um, any intimacy in public between men and women, so holding hands, hugging, kissing, you can get arrested for that. <coughs> um, internet access is heavily filtered. So you try to get on the internet in Qatar. Um, just know you've got government censors that are spying on you. They are blocking out any content that would give political criticism of Gulf Arab countries. They're blocking out pornography or anything with LGBT content, any sexual health resources, any dating services or escort services. They're 
blocking out really any privacy or circumvention tools. So if you're trying to find like a, a VPN, um, <laughs> they're they're basically censoring that, spying on you. And in terms of Christianity, you can't evangelize in the open. The government is very restrictive on how you can worship. So only officially state-sanctioned government-registered churches can worship, and most of that would be expats living there in Qatar. So that's what censorship looks like in a lot of places across the world. And Qatar is a relatively um, secular Arab nation. If you go to places like Iran or Afghanistan or something like that, it's nowhere close to that permissive. Hmm. So that's that's what a culture with a lot of censorship would look like in terms of the Internet. Hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's, it's based on based on religion. It's based on mm-hmm. the faith of Islam and what they value and their currency of what is right and what is, you know, uh, what is wrong, what is just and what is unjust. And so, yeah, if, you know, many religious people in the United States of America really followed their faith through, they would actually, in a weird way, be supporting some of the, they would actually agree mm-hmm. with some of those things. Right to make it law in the United States of America. Um, whereas, yeah, I would take maybe a different approach, maybe a middle-of-the-road approach and say, well, you know, this, there are some things in there that, you know, we definitely want to say, yeah, um, this is too far, or that's not too, you know. But like I said, um, we are living in a, in a king, we're living for a king and in a kingdom that is surrounded by something that is that is not, and so right. we're limited by that. But right. So the polar opposite to that would be um, countries where there's very little censorship at all. Mm. Um, So the most permissive in terms of censorship would be either Finland or Sweden. Um, For a while, I think it was Sweden that had a website called The Pirate Bay, which you could basically download um, for free bit torrents of music and film and all. It was basically... Mm -hmm pirated media and the, the Swedish government was kind of like, well, anybody can distribute anything they want. And it wasn't until later they cracked down on that. I think it was like international copyright laws cracked down on that. But in um, Finland, there's no, there's very little censorship. There is some censorship, but there's very little censorship. So <clears throat> in the U.S. and in a lot of other countries, there's classified government documents. We can't just go and look up anything we want, um, mm-hmm. but that's not the case in Finland. You, mm-hmm. you can look up any government document and archive, you know, all citizens are given access to that. Mm. Um, you could even look up your neighbor's salary if you want <laughs> to, right? Um, <clears throat> internet access is a legal right in Finland. There are illegal and dangerous websites that are blacklisted, but for the most part, you have that legal right to access it to you know post stuff on that there is no mpaa for the inspection of movies and video games so you know how we have a motion picture association that says this movie's rated r this movie's rated pg-13 yeah Um, that was abolished in finland in 2011 Hmm. they have some sort of a rating system but it's very it's very loose it's basically just kind of like okay well here's Here's kind of what you know this content is is for, but it's it's extremely loose in terms of what you're allowed to create and make. Um, just culturally, this is really interesting. Public nudity isn't really seen as a big deal, just culturally. 
um, like saunas are very common, so nudity isn't not, is not really sexualized in that sense. But um, I was looking up the the antenna channels, like what you could get on your antenna in Finland, and there, there's a whole channel that you could get on a free antenna that just airs adult entertainment night and day. Hmm. So if you can imagine that, like if you got an antenna, you can find here in the U.S. like CBS, NBC, ABC, you know, free channels, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, in Finland, there's one that does nothing but airs porn all the time. Uh, and as you can imagine, with no censorship, pornography laws are quite a bit more lenient. Um, child pornography is illegal. But I found this very interesting. Fictional child pornography, including fantasy child pornography, is allowed. Hmm. So basically simulated child pornography because there's no censorship. I mean, you can create what you want to create, right? So what's very ironic to me is Finland's government at the same time has gone after evangelical leaders who have spoken out against the state Lutheran church for their support of homosexuality. Hmm. So, yeah, there's hardly any censorship, but then evangelical leaders that say, hey, homosexuality is wrong, they get investigated by the government. (laughs) Interesting. So here's the question for you, Gabe. In which of these two Mm -hmm. countries, if you had the choice between moving your family to Qatar or Finland, do you think as a Christian you would want to live, raise a family, and exercise your faith? Oh, That's, that's a very tough decision. I, man, that that is a dilemma that I, I, I mean, right now, if you had to pin me down, I would have to say that I'd have to go with Finland because I'd have to, you know, that is tough. I, basically teaching my kids to navigate through a world uh, that has unfettered access to all of that stuff where they're constantly bombarded by, by things that you know, in, in teaching them how, how, like, you'd have to really drive home in them, like, what is right, what is moral, what is holy, what is unholy. Um, right. But yeah, I might have to go with the Finland thing because that is, but that's a, what, what, how would you answer that question? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, yeah. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like, okay, so one of them is everything is heavily censored. Yeah. One of them, there's no censorship or very little censorship. Uh, in terms of like what I'd want my kids to be exposed to, it would be a lot safer to raise them in Qatar, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They would never see pornography. They would, I mean, even in the, this is kind of funny to me, but I had a layover in the Qatar airport in Doha and there was a Victoria's Secret and there were literally, you know how like there's like the Victoria's Secret in Paris or in New York, there's like models, you know, with their mm-hmm. own, there wasn't even a model. It was like <laughs> you couldn't there, – there was no <laughs> pictures anywhere. Like it was just really interesting. Like you don't have that on yeah. billboards. You don't have that on magazines. You don't have that on TV. You, I mean it's just – there's none of that, right? Hmm. So it would be safer to raising my kids there. But at the same time, if we walked down the street and started telling people that Jesus, you couldn't do that, yeah. right? Um, but in Finland, I mean it would be like – the the Areopagus in in Athens. It's a free marketplace of ideas. Oh, that's really interesting. Hmm. That's one more idea in the, you know. Yeah. But it would be riskier, you know. So I don't know. 
I don't know. I think I would enjoy living in Finland more than I would enjoy living in the desert because there's snowing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's snowing all the time, and there's water, and it's not 116 degrees in the middle of the desert. But I mean, that's tough. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. And it, I guess it goes <clears throat> the the overarching question of this episode is like, should Christians support censorship? I mean, it's, it's not a question of... <clears throat> whether or not we do it's just like how because like you know we would we would say that you can't walk into a church service and start cussing you know that's that's censorship in effect right but then you know a certain politician can get on twitter and out on that aspect and in, in, in that realm he can he can cuss all he wants as long as it's kind of like you know very um benign curse words or whatever right, right and right, it's right. like he, he can you, you can do that there um so it's like we we want our cake, I guess, and eat it too. But it's like, mm-hmm. should should we um, support state sponsored censorship? And that's where it gets into a little bit of a different realm. And we're like, ah, you know, that's tough. Yeah, and it it really kind of all comes back to okay, by what standard is the state? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So in Qatar, the standard is Islam and Sharia law. Right, mm-hmm. a very light decaf version of Sharia law in Islam, because mm-hmm. that, again, that's one of the more secular Islamic countries. Yeah, but um, in Finland, the standard is, you know, free speech, democracy, progressivism, liberalism. Anybody should be allowed to say whatever they want, right? Mm. But even then, there's a standard in progressivism, liberalism, and democracy as to someone speaking against homosexuality being wrong then has to be censored according to that standard. Yeah. So there has to be in any society some level of censorship. The question is by what standard is that censorship being practiced? Yeah. And that's what we have to keep in mind as Christians when we say, well, I should think they should say whatever they want to say. Well, you don't really think that because let's look at the extremes, you know. So what happens when we get censored? We're blocked if... <clears throat> two years from now, we can't live stream our services on YouTube or Facebook anymore. Hmm. You know, um, I think that day is coming a lot sooner than most people think, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it could be. And I think, you know, some people make a, a fuss about like, uh, you know, um, should we be a 501c3 organization? Are we teaming up with the, the IRS and, this, and the federal government are we are we basically mm-hmm. becoming a shill for doing that and I think you know it's like no I think if you put yourself out there with a live stream or you put teachings on the internet or sermons on the internet I think uh, it doesn't matter what kind of legal entity you are that when those things become hateful to say uh, or intolerant to say um, you know you're 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 going to get censored somehow, and what that looks like, I don't really know, but it doesn't really matter what kind of legal entity you are. Yeah, that's true. Well, and I think that it, if that day comes, which I think it's coming, I think the response that we have as Christians biblically is Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when the believers in Jerusalem were given strict orders not to teach in this name, the name Jesus. It says that Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Mm -hmm. So 
hate speech is being redefined, and eventually, as it continues to be redefined, the Christian teachings on the exclusivity of Christ will be labeled hate speech. Mm-hmm. That there is no other way, there is no other name given under which man may be saved but the name Jesus. And the Christian teachings on sexuality are going to be labeled as hate speech. That God's mm-hmm. design for human sexuality is one man, one woman in the context of marriage lifelong. Both of those things, over time, as hate speech continues to get redefined, will be seen as hate speech. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, not if, but when, we have a divine mandate to obey God rather than men. Mm-hmm. Even if those ideas are seen as dangerous or, you know, we may not always have the freedom to speak that openly and to practice that openly. We may be taken down off of YouTube and Facebook, but we still have the divine mandate to continue to to speak them and live them out nonetheless. So let me ask you this. It's kind of on a little bit of a tangent here, but like, yeah. you know, Facebook and YouTube are, are definitely um, <clears throat> manipulating uh data, manipulating um, the algorithm, suppressing videos, deleting videos, hiding videos, you know, different posts or things like that, or adding a, this didn't, this didn't meet our fact checker criteria or whatever, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Like they're, they're definitely playing around with, with what people are saying. Right. Um, And, and sometimes that happens to be people who are preaching the gospel or pastors who are sharing a sermon or something. Um, Should our response be to encourage all believers to abandon abandon those uh, those platforms altogether, or should we stay on there as long as we can, hmm. um, as long as they're not, you know, costing us or or other people's money uh, to be on them? Uh, what what should our response be to that? That's a very interesting idea. Like you see, people, especially after the election in in two thousand and twenty. People were saying, delete your Facebook account, get, you know, just go with this instead or. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thought. And we'll talk about that metaverse here in a second. And I think there's a lot to be said about that mm -hmm. too, should Christians be on that. Um, So let's just go back to the idea of seeing Facebook as really a digital marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what it is. Like it is basically a speaker's corner in London or a Areopagus in Athens. It's a place where. You can go and you can, for now, share the ideas that you have on your mind to share, whether that's stupid cat videos or pictures of your lunch or your thoughts about politics or whatever. You're, you, you have that, right, mm-hmm. for now, and you can exercise that right within the confines of Facebook you know, policies or whatever. Um, if that was essentially a corner in a town where you also had that right, and yet there was people that started cracking down on what you could or couldn't say, at what point would you as a Christian go, you know what, I'm just not going to be here anymore. I'm mm-hmm. going to stop speaking the truth of the gospel here because it's getting harder and harder for me to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah, it seems like we should be <clears throat> putting our message out in every possible corner of the internet, in every possible corner of, of our city. Uh, it seems like we, as long as our message is able to be put on there, we should put it on there. Yeah. Um, and the dilemma I think I have is, are we 
drawing people to those platforms if we say to them, oh yeah, go catch last week's sermon on this platform, but they're not, they're not already on that platform. Hmm. Um, that's the, that's the only thing I'm like, I'm kind of hung up on. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a little dilemma, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of persuaded to, to say that, yeah, we should keep pumping our message out there on any platform that will allow us, to, you know, so in other words, like you get invited Josh to speak at a, at a mosque in your town and they, they want you to come and share about the book of acts or they want you to mm-hmm. do this and like, would you go and would you feel, would you feel that speaking engagement? And I think the, the, the answer would probably be for me. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, <clears throat> if, if I'm able to go and I'm able to share the gospel with this congregation at a mosque and let's say they have me back a second time and a third time, like as long as I'm not compromising the truth and as long mm-hmm. as I am speaking unadulterated word of God, like we should be willing to go to these places and share the gospel as yeah. long as they'll continue, as long as it's not causing us physical harm. And even then that's maybe up for debate, but oh, as long yeah. as it's, as long as we're not misappropriating or misusing the resources of people who have given to us, um, we should go and we should do that. You know, I sat, I've sat in a brothel before and shared the gospel and led, mm. led several people to Christ in a brothel, um, wow. in the middle of a slum. And it's like, you know, I could in my, my like apprehension be like, oh no, I'm not going to go into that brothel because it's, it's unholy in there. They need to come out here and meet me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we should continue to pump our message out. Oh yeah. Well, I think about Speaker's Corner in London. Um, first mm-hmm. time I was there was in the early 2000s. And again, it's this place, if you've never been in London, where you can just go and set up a soapbox and talk about anything you want. So you had like a dude that was standing on a soapbox with a Union Jack flag as a cape, ranting and raving about dwarves <laughs> and elves. You had a guy that was dressed up like a cowboy that was ranting and raving about uh, George W. Bush and bombs. And you had a guy, uh, two mm. guys actually, that were, uh, they were Islamic, and they were from France, and they just were ranting and raving about anything and everything, man. Just like <clears throat> it was just a crazy, like they it didn't have any sort of coherent thought structure. And it was really funny. I mean, just walking around, it was literally a free marketplace of ideas. People mm-hmm. were talking about whatever they wanted. And in the midst of that, I'll never forget, there was this guy who was preaching the gospel. Hmm. And I don't mean like he was like a street preacher that was yelling at people that they're going to go burn in hell. I mean, he was literally like putting out there a very powerful apologetic for the fact that there is a creator, the fact that we have a moral compass inside of us that points to the fact that we were made in the image and likeness of God. I mean, he was laying it out there. I mean, it was incredible. Hmm. And a lot of people like me as a tourist that were there to just kind of see, okay, what are people ranting and raving about today? We're like convicted and compelled. Because, hmm. yeah, like 90% of the stuff going on there was goofiness. Mm-hmm. But then there was like that one person that was just like, man, this guy's speaking truth. So that's a very interesting thought about online platforms. Maybe 90% of it is goofiness. Mm-hmm. But if we have the ability to use that platform to speak truth, why sh- why wouldn't we or why shouldn't we? Mm. So that leads us to our new pioneer, new <laughs> new frontiers, pioneers of a new frontier, <laughs> the metaverse. What do you think about the metaverse? Mm. 
And what do you think censorship and free speech is going to look like there? And should Christians be on the metaverse? Yeah, that's is something I think about this morning. It's like, should we, should we be involved in that? Um, you know, at some point, the Amish said, like, here's the line. We're not going to cross this line. You know, like this is, yep. this is it. And I'm like, man, the metaverse, it's like, uh, is that that line for me? Yeah. Is that that line for my family? And there's nothing explicitly in scripture that, that forbids me from crossing that line and going into yeah. that. But it just seems unwise, I guess. Yeah. And it's like to be fully immersed in this this other realm that is not real. Well, let's, let's but... define what the metaverse is. Sure. So uh, futurist analyst technology experts have pointed to kind of the next stage of the internet as being the metaverse. So mm-hmm. if you've seen on the news, Facebook officially changed its name to Meta in preparation for this. So like there's kind of been three stages of the internet. The first was like desktop computing where you had your AOL dial-up and you could only access the internet through sitting down at a desktop computer and, you know, going into chat rooms and things like that. And then we're like on stage two of the internet. And that's been like mobile computing. We have cell phones and we can get on the internet through cell phones. And, you know, you and I are using the internet right now to converse through a, a live call, you know, Mm -hmm. but what futurists are saying are the third is, is the third stage of the internet is basically an immersive virtual world that's primarily facilitated by the use of virtual reality headsets, Hmm. like the Oculus. So if you're familiar with platforms like Fortnite, Minecraft, World of Warcraft, Second Life, it's essentially that. Mm -hmm. And it sounds crazy because you're like, nobody's going to do that. If you would have told me in the late 90s that I would have an entire computer in my pocket and I could get on the internet at any time using my cell phone, I would have laughed at you (laughs) told you you were crazy. Mm-hmm. So the the metaverse right now is kind of more of an idea at this point, mm-hmm. but it's being touted as a place where people can socialize, do business, be entertained, and exchange ideas, just like people do on the internet right now, but in a more immersive sense where you're basically just walking around and walking up to people and saying, hey, how are you? What are you thinking about? You know, that kind of thing. So where it gets tricky is what's censorship going to look like? Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be the wild, wild west where anybody can just say and do whatever they want? Um, <clears throat> there have already been reports of sexual assault happening in the metaverse, which is kind of just like, mm. what? Like, because <laughs> somebody reported like their avatar got sexually assaulted by another avatar, and you're like, that's not possible because that's not real, <laughs> right? <laughs> but. People are like, okay, if it's a completely open, immersive, alternate reality, anybody can say and do anything they want. I can walk up to your avatar with a gun and shoot you. Or walk up to your avatar and grope you. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that what it's going to be like? Others see it as there's going to be very heavy-handed authoritarian entities and governments that limit the metaverse and just continue to expand existing prohibitions. So no, you're not able to say whatever you want. The biggest concern analysts have are privacy and safety concerns because there's technology being piloted that uses biometric data to collect users' personal information. So you're wearing a headset. People can, like, these technologies can basically read your 
retina. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds like we're yeah. talking like Minority Report and Ready Player One stuff, but I mean, this is happening. This is coming, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, where does the gospel and the truth of the gospel play into this platform? Um, the first church that I know of that has gotten ahead of the curve is Life Church. Uh, it's Pastor Craig Rochelle. They've already made it public. They're going to have a campus, a Life Church campus in the metaverse. Hmm. So people can go to church in the metaverse. So this is crazy. Yeah, and it's like, are we missing an opportunity for not engaging in that? Uh, hey, just or, real talk. Would you ever do that? Would you ever go in the metaverse, like wear a headset and just spend all day like walking around and, hey, look at me? I, I can't say that I wouldn't because, you know, I, I don't know, but it's like, I think I think it will get to a point probably in our lifetime where what is reality will get, begin to get really truly blurred. Yeah. What is what is and I think I think we'll get to a point where our our consciousnesses will be projected into a different realm and leaving that realm will feel almost like almost like doing psychedelics, you know, people when they say doing psychedelics it's like they when when they're on a psychedelic trip, it feels more real to them than mm-hmm. reality itself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the metaverse will kind of be like that. It'll, it'll open up passageways in our brains, and we'll have experiences and pleasures and all kinds of stuff that 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 feels more real and engages our our. But I think I think as we uh, continue to to isolate ourselves or disengage from the real world. And immerse ourselves and pro- and project our ourselves into uh, technology and our phones and AI. It's like, yeah, I think I think that will that will begin to blur the line. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I I can't say that I wouldn't do that <clears throat> yeah. right now. Gabe Rutledge sitting in twenty twenty two is like, oh no, like I <laughs> no. I, that's how I feel. I'm like I would never do that. Yeah, but never say never. You don't you don't really know until. Because to the point where it's kind of like everybody at my work is like, hey, we're going to meet up at the metaverse. We're going to have a work meeting. It's kind of like Zoom, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, why would yeah. I ever get on Zoom? And now it's kind of like I have probably two or three meetings a week on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I, like, I picture myself being that like 80-year-old curmudgeon who's like, I <laughs> still haven't been on the metaverse. I will never, you can't get me on I there. I will a cell phone. Yeah, it'll be the equivalent of being like having, phone. it'll be the equivalent of having like a computer in your house, you know? Like right, people, right, right. people are like in their 80s now, they're like, I don't know about these smartphones and these iPhones and all this stuff. And it's like, <laughs> and you're just like, okay, grandpa, you know, like, yeah. you know, I'll probably be that person. It's my kids and my grandkids that will be fully immersed in this. And, and, and I will be kind of like the, the old curmudgeon who is like, be careful with that. You know, they're mm-hmm. don't go in there and don't do that thing. Don't put that on your head, you know? And, <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And I think it's too early to tell. I think obviously there are dangers and concerns mm-hmm. in terms of both censorship and in terms of the possibility of content being there that could be exceptionally harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of you pick your poison. Is it going to become so heavily censored that you're not able to really speak truth or is it going to become like the wild, wild west? And which one is better for Christians? It becoming like the wild, wild west or it becoming so heavily censored you can't really speak yeah. truth. You know, and I think those are those are very interesting questions to ask. And I think at this point it's probably too early to tell. 
Um, yeah. I think like many topics we discuss in this podcast, if you as a Christ follower are not struggling and grappling with that issue, um, then there's probably something wrong. There's something, a component of your faith that's missing. You know, we've talked about politics and we've talked about doomsday prepping. We th- talk now about like <laughs> the freedom of speech and stuff. Those are things that we constantly should be contemplating and struggling with. And that's yeah. a good thing. Absolutely. Um, if you see something completely in absolute black and white on any of these kind of issues, then, um, yeah, I think I think you're probably in the wrong on that. Well, and I think that there's probably a lot more nuance in all of these mm-hmm. issues than some of us are willing to admit. Mm-hmm. Because it becomes very easy to say, like, oh, it's just this. Well, it, yeah, it is until you start really exploring all the aspects and facets of that issue. And what we know is we are compelled by Christ and his word to speak the gospel and to live out our faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what policies must we support in any society for that to happen? Because if you support just a complete lack of censorship, then it becomes like a, a mm-hmm. godless society where smut pornography is on the television at 2 o'clock in the afternoon while your 10-year-old's there, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it becomes very nuanced to kind of look and see, okay, what, where does the line end? How does that work, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, so the final question. Okay. Should Joe Rogan be allowed to keep his episode and his show on Spotify? Should he have been... Are you asking be, me? Yeah, they, yeah. they never called me. Spotify was never like, hey, I know I know you have the second most popular podcast on Spotify besides Joe Rogan, but mm-hmm, what do you mm-hmm. think? He's um, he's probably waiting with bated breath to hear. I, I would think so, yeah. He's a subscriber. Opinion. Yep. Um, I think he should be allowed because, I mean, mm-hmm. like if Joe Rogan's going on there and saying, hey, I don't see there's anything wrong with you know, full-grown adults having sexual relationships with young kids. Yeah, take him off. That's dangerous, mm. right? If he's mm. going on there inciting violence, saying, hey, yeah, if you're of a certain ethnicity, you need to die, take him off. All he's doing is saying, maybe the narratives we've been fed about vaccine mandates aren't exactly the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're calling for him to get yanked down from that platform. I would say no. Yeah. No. His ideas you might disagree with, but... I support his right to say it, and I support his right to be on the same platform. So yeah, I mean, he he has a very big responsibility having eleven to twelve million listeners every episode. It's a huge responsibility, and yeah, I wish Joe Rogan wasn't in a small way kind of normalizing the use of psychedelics. And, yeah, oh and yeah, and recreational marijuana. use of yeah. marijuana. Um, yeah. But yeah, he has a very big, big responsibility. And I think he's doing a pretty good job with that and realizing how big of a responsibility he has and being a, being a decent steward of that for the godless human being that he is. Sure. I think he's doing an excellent job with that. So, Joe, if you're listening, we love you. We want you to know Jesus. Yeah. But you're probably not listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been a very interesting topic. I'm not sure if we answered any questions as more as we just asked more questions, but um, sometimes that's the path to learning. So, yeah. All right. Well, Gabe, I'm going to log off and go on World of Warcraft, my uh, my metaverse, Mm. and hang out with my guild. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to jump on uh, Roblox myself. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'll see you on there later. I think I've got we got a two p.m. in Roblox. Okay. All right. See you, Josh. All right, y'all. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will 
we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.